Welcome to the Faith Lakeside Podcast. Each week you'll hear another great message that will help you know God and make Him known in your life. Join us each Sunday at 1045 a.m. and throughout the week in small groups to make the most of your learning experiences. Now, sit back, relax with a great cup of coffee and a notebook and enjoy this week's message. Welcome to church today. Such a privilege to be gathered together as the family of God. A couple of quick announcements as we get started. First, for those of you who are 18 to 29 or you know somebody 18 to 29, encourage you to join us this coming Friday night, the fellowship hall here at church. We're going to have a get together. Uh, we're, we're just going to start. I think it's seven o'clock, Jay, right? Yes. Seven to nine. Um, Jay's already on his way out thinking coffee and he doesn't even hear me. Um, my goodness, worship leaders, what do you do with them? So, um, but, but uh, 18 to 29-year-olds, we look forward to you joining us. This, this week, we're going to be discussing the Bible and how can we trust it and why it matters. Is it just another book or, um, you know, what? So I want you to bring your questions about the Bible. Even the ones you were afraid to ask your parents or a Sunday school teacher or grandma and know that every question is valid and fair game. And, uh, you know, whether it's a doubt, a fear, a, hey, I think this is untrue, and we will answer and do our best to find answers together. So it'll be this coming Friday night, 7 to 9 p.m., downstairs in the Fellowship Hall. We're going to have burgers, both beef and veggie. So uh, I know we got some folks on other side, either side of the, uh, the aisle there. And if you're coming, would you just bring, if you're like A to L, would you bring some chips or a side dish? And if you're M to Z, would you bring cookies, like my favorite kind? Whatever, just guess. Try and figure out what my favorite kind is. Or a dessert of some kind, something you'd like to share with others. So it doesn't matter. You've got a couple of little ones in tow or something. That's okay. We'll make room for them. We'll find a way to make that happen. Uh, this is to, to meet the needs of those of you between 18 and 29. You might be a, in, a, in a coupling of some sort, uh, a marriage or a dating relationship, and one of you is over 29, you can both still come. You get to be the age of the youngest one in your coupling. So uh, join us this coming Friday night. The reason we want you to text to uh, that number, 1829, is that there will be upcoming meetings throughout April, or April. April's almost gone. Sorry. May and June and July. And we want to text you where they're going to be and what you need to bring and what we're going to discuss when it's time for those. So encourage everybody in that age group or if you know somebody, get them hooked up for 1829. Men's breakfast will be Saturday, this coming Saturday at 8 in the morning. It will make you happy. So encourage all of the guys to come and share breakfast with us. And when we're talking guys, we're talking everybody from 7th grade to just prior to passing into the arms of Jesus Christ. So please come and join us for men's breakfast this coming Saturday in the fellowship hall. Last announcement, while we've got all kinds of great regular meetings and stuff going on this week, is that we are looking, the elders, the deacons, our leadership team, we're looking to establish uh, Sunday school potentially, which would mean the opportunity for every age group every Sunday to gather together in great classes, hear God's word, and be discipled by loving teachers just prior to, the, in the hour prior to our Sunday morning service. But we don't want to launch this without getting some feedback. The leaders think it's a great idea, but we want to hear your voices too. 
So if you are a ministry team leader, really encourage you to please join us and tell us how you think this will influence you, your family, and your ministry. Or if you're just a church attender, member, lover, and you want to come and have a voice, come. We're going to have the same cookout food. Guess who's cooking for both things Friday and Saturday, or Sunday? That's me. That's right. So uh, we're going to have burgers, both beef and bean, and uh, we'll also... Uh, have some sides and stuff, so you don't have to worry about bringing anything for the Sunday school meeting. So if you have questions, feel free to ask me after service. You can always email or text and uh, just ask questions as you can. So we are continuing our series on the Christ, talking about Jesus in the gospel according to Mark. And if you remember, this gospel according to Mark, we believe was the younger man, Mark, sitting with the older man, Peter, the apostle, and recording Peter's recollections of his time with Jesus and Jesus' ministry. And ultimately, the gospel of Mark has as its goal to affirm and or teach us for the very first time that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. He is the promised king of the Old Testament who would come to redeem both the Jewish people and according to the promises and prophecies in the Old Testament, all of mankind as well. So last week, we kind of uh, focused on a couple of questions, or really one question that the Sadducees had for Jesus, and he rebuked them and says that they were wrong on their views in regard to life and godliness and how God interacts with us because they knew neither the scriptures nor the power of God. In other words, they didn't read God's word and they didn't trust that God would work in their lives. And a lot of us, we can hear that kind of truth, and we can say, yeah, that kind of describes me. You know, I haven't, haven't read God's word in a while, and I really struggle with believing that God is at work in my life. And Jesus says, it's time to renew your passion for God's word. It's time to renew your trust in him. And that's really how he leaves it with those Sadducees and tells them a little, about, a little bit about resurrection life. And then we get to this next encounter, and it's the same day, same kinds of things going on. It's in Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. So if you have your Bibles, please open them up or open up your Bible app, and you should find today's sermon notes and these uh, passages already laid out for you. If you're a young person and you want something to do, there are some coloring pages for this passage on the table just behind the flowers back there. So, uh, or if you're just an older person and you have ADHD and you need something to color, they're back there still for you too. So it's all good. Don't hesitate to get up and go get what you need in order to get the most out of this message. So let's read together the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 28 through 34. Remember Jesus and all his followers, they are in the temple. They are answering, he, Jesus is answering questions and having spiritual discussions with those around him. And verse 28 kicks it off and says this. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another. And seeing that he, Jesus, answered them, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, well, he asked him, which commandment is the most important of all? Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. 
There is no other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said to him, You are right, teacher. You have truly said that he is one, and there is no other besides him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered him wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, no one dared to ask him any more questions. So we see that Jesus is having another interaction with someone who wants to understand what God's word has to say, wants to understand Jesus' teachings. This is no longer a person who is coming to Jesus and trying to trap him, but this is someone who is genuinely curious. He wants to understand what Jesus has to say. When we look at the scriptures in, here in verse 28, this very first scripture of the passage, it says, one of the scribes, and if you remember uh, scribes, we talked about a while ago when Jesus was still up in northern Israel around the Sea of Galilee. Scribes were the ones who in the local congregations helped to read and interpret God's word. So they were essentially the pastors, in some ways, of the local synagogues. And so scribes were usually fairly well-learned, fairly well-versed in the scriptures. And a scribe comes up to Jesus. He hears Jesus disputing with these Sadducees and these Pharisees and these Herodians. And he says that in his own heart and mind that Jesus has answered them well. Now, what this means is when you look at the original word for answered well, it's, it's that he has given solid answers. He's given convincing answers he, he is, has given satisfying answers. And, and what the Jewish people were languishing under was a lot of teaching where the answers were not satisfying, where there was no truth that really impacted their lives. And so as Jesus spoke, they heard words that were meaningful and powerful and applied directly to them. Other parts in Scripture says that he spoke with authority. And it was because, like he accused the Sadducees, he said that they did not know scripture and they did not know the power of God. Jesus himself knew the scriptures and he knew the power of God. And of course he has a leg up on this whole affair because he is God incarnate and yet he had limited his own powers and abilities in order to walk as a human being. But this, this scribe comes to Jesus, sees truth being poured out of his mouth and so he asks Jesus, which commandment is the most important of all? Now, we might look at this and kind of wonder, what is Jesus, or what's this scribe talking about? You know, we, we think this scribe was probably a, a genuine seeker, and he wanted to clarify the law. If, if we look back through the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the ones that contain the, the rules, you know, some of the thou shalts and some of the thou shalt nots, there are 613 cataloged commandments. I mean, you can actually open your Bible and read them. These are not made up and added to. Now, what the Pharisees had done is they had actually added layers of rules to these 613 in the interpretation of these commandments. And out of these 613 rules or commandments that we have in the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, the authoritative law of the Jewish people, that there are 245 positive, or thou shalt, or, you know, that kind of wording, and then 365 prohibitions, which include things like, you know, 
killing people or murder, right? Include adultery, include, you know, you can't eat a bat. It's in there. It should never have happened, right? Um, so, so we see that there are clean and unclean foods. There are things that are allowed and disallowed. And it was actually part of the, excuse me, part of the culture in Jesus' day to take these 613 commandments and to try and boil them down into uh, just one or two commandments or, or to try and understand them because 613 things to remember is a lot, isn't it? 613 commandments, both positive and negative. Let's see, am I supposed to, 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 to have cheese on my hamburger or not? And actually, you know, we all know the answer today is always. But, but you know, and then what kind of cheese? Pepper jack and cheddar. You should know that. But the, the, the questions become, you know, how, how do we boil this down? How do we make it simple? Because 613 commandments. Well, the, the religious leaders of Jesus' day and, and prior to Jesus, they had divided the commandments up into at least two different groups, the heavy and the light. And so the heavy commandments were those ones that were like, you don't break these ones, the heavy commandments. The light ones were the ones where, you know, if you break them, it, it's just going to cost you a pigeon or a dove and you know, no big deal. You go to the temple, you make amends, it's all good. And, and yet they were also looking for one answer, that one rule that they could live by and know that if they lived by that one rule all the time, they would never violate any of the commandments. Now, some of you guys might be old enough to remember little bracelets and keychains and necklaces and t-shirts that said this one little phrase that was represented by four letters, WWJD. Do you remember that? Do you, anybody have one of those still? I'm so sad if you still have. I mean, because the thing is, is the question was to live as a good believer, what, to, to, you have to ask yourself the question, what would Jesus do and then do it, right? And so we all started trying to decide how to apply the, the standards of the scriptures to our lives with this one question, what would Jesus do? And yet, even in that, anybody else struggle with finding yourself actually doing what Jesus would do in this kind of situation? You know, I mean, driving in traffic, what would Jesus do? If the sign says 55, do you know that Jesus would do 55? How many of you did that? How many of you do that today? I, you're Pittsburghers, none of you. I know the truth. None of you drive 55. It's a bunch of outer towners in the right lane driving 55, wondering when they're going to die. The rest of you, I know the truth. You see, we're all looking for that one rule, that one standard. What is it we can do to make God happy? This is what this scribe is asking of Jesus. Jesus, just give me the one rule I have to follow. What's interesting is a, uh, a teacher, a rabbi that had come before Jesus he had attempted to sum up the, uh, the law, all 613 commandments. And uh, Rabbi Hillel, he had said, what you yourself hate, do not do it to your neighbor. That was his summation of all of the law and prophets, all of the rules of Judaism. This rabbi said, listen, if you don't like it, you shouldn't do it. Well, the thing is, is I don't like yard work, Right? So clearly that means I should not mow my neighbor's yard because I don't like yard work. I mean, you, you realize how ludicrous even this, it just doesn't match up. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't really sum up 
the standards. And so Jesus answers this scribe who's looking for the one commandment, the one rule, the one ring to rule them all that will make him see and understand clearly the life that he is to live. And so Jesus answers him. And Jesus says this, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And so Jesus gives him this very simple, this very straightforward answer. Other gospels say that Jesus, the way that he spoke of these two commands is that they were actually one. They were unified. And so in Jesus' mind, in Jesus' teaching, these what appears to be two commands is really just a single command that we can boil down to love God and love others. I mean, if we're going to make it just really simple, right? And that's what this scribe was seeking out, and that's what Jesus offers up to him. And it's, it's what many of us are seeking out, that one simple path. How do we respond to the, the weighty responsibilities that Scripture gives us? How do we actually live this Christian life? How do we actually follow after Jesus? And Jesus says the way that it happens, the way it works out is that you will love God and you will love others. Now, as some of you maybe in reading Jesus' answer here, you, you look back and you say, Jesus actually quotes Scripture in his response to this scribe. You can read it and you can recognize it and you say, I know exactly where that's from. And others of you, you read it and go, I don't have a clue, but I'll take your word for it, Michael. Well, don't take my word for it. Look, here in the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6, verses 4 through 5. This is what the people of Israel are to understand about their God and their relationship with him. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5 says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. In other words, he is the singular, true God of all creation. And he is unified in purpose. He is unified in love for us, but also unified in his holiness. In him, there is no division or separation when it comes to essence or will or direction. Instead, God is one. And what we get to when we get to the, the New Testament, the, the fuller revelation of the Trinity does not negate the oneness of God. What we actually see is that Jesus, the Son, and the Father, and the Holy Spirit, three persons, unique persons within the Godhood, each of them having their own unique personalities and traits, are still one as God. Jesus himself says, I and the Father, we are one. Fully united, of one mind, one heart. And so when the Father speaks, the Son speaks. And when the Son speaks, the Father speaks. And when the Holy Spirit affirms, it is the words of the Son and the Father that are the power, it's the oneness. They don't contradict. It isn't the Father sitting over here with one opinion and the Son sitting over here with another and then the Holy Spirit saying, yeah, I don't agree at all. It is instead all three persons of the Godhead as one unified. 
And so in our minds as Christians, sometimes we look at the Old Testament and we go, well, that was God, but he was a different kind of God. He was a different, you know, he, had, he was a God of wrath, or he's a God of, of anger and, and punishment. But, but in the New Testament, we have a new God. And in Jesus, we've got a God of, of love and grace and giving. And, and we, we tend to think that they are two distinct and different gods, but Jesus answer about what it is and what's most important in your relationship with God is to first understand that God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, while three distinct persons within the Trinity, are all one. And so when the Father has said something in the past, guess who has said it in the present? The Son and the Holy Spirit. When the Son has said it, it is always an affirmation of what the Father has said previously, and the Spirit will confirm it in your heart. There is no division in God. And Jesus tells you and I that this one God who is unified in essence and being and truthfulness and intent and will, this one God deserves our love. And we are supposed to love the Lord. That word, when it's all in caps like that, it's the, 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 the Hebrew word Yahweh. It means that self-existent, one true God. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Now, if you look back to what Jesus said, Jesus actually adds one more thing. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so Jesus gives us this list that is birthed out of Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5, in which we are to love the one true God and understand the unity of God, as God has spoken fully and completely both in the Old Testament and in the New through His Son. And you and I are supposed to love this God with all of our heart, all of our emotion, all of, all of our passion, all of, of what makes us us, all of our soul, our personality, all of our mind, our intellect. Some of you maybe think that, that Christianity is not an intellectual religion, and I have to tell you, you don't know real Christianity. It's important for you to pursue God, to love God with all of your emotion, with all of your personality, with all of your intellect, to bring your questions to him, to bring your, your passions to him. But also to love him, Jesus says, with all of your strength. That's your physicality. And this is a big move. This is a, a change from the Old Testament in that, that it wasn't just about how you feel and how you think, but it's also about how you physically live, Jesus says. Everything you are, everything you say, everything you do should be an expression of love toward God. There is no area of your life where God just kind of goes, no, nah, it's okay, you can keep that for yourself. Everything about you and I is to be part of our passionate love for him. The totality of who we are in service and in love to God. Now, it's interesting, when we look back, this is actually representative. This passionate love for God is represented in the first four of the Ten Commandments easily. Each of the first four of the Ten Commandments gives us what it looks like to love God with all that we are, at least in, in, in the seed stages. So these first four commandments, number one, no other gods. And some of you go, 
piece of cake, got that one, only one God in my life. Really? Do you have any, like, small screens that glow that are your gods? You know, the ones that you worship and spend more time with than you do with the God of creation? Do, do you have any, any shiny things on four wheels that you worship and worship and worship? You know, do, do, you, do, do you have a home that you live in that you worship as a god? Now, idolatry, we can all slip into it very easily, can't we? So we have to understand that no other gods is not just, well, all I wear around my neck is a cross. I don't wear, you know, um, the, the Buddhist thing, and I don't, I don't wear the, the crescent and, and moon. Yeah, I, it's just a cross on my neck. Yeah, but what is it in your life that you worship? No other gods before him. Number two, no idols. And we might think, well, that's an other God thing, right? No, no. What God is talking about is not only other gods that you represent physically, but also do not make God look like you. Don't make God look like you. And you might go, well, Michael, what do you mean? I am so glad you asked. Thank you for asking what I mean by that. You see, too often in our lives, what we do with God is we imagine him to be like us. We, we, we make his love what we think love should be. We, we make his justice what we think justice should be. We make his holiness, we bring it down, we drag it down, and we make it look like you know, a good day for us. We make God look like us. There was a, a movement in the late 1800s it, it was called the search for the historical Jesus. And it, it went on uh, for a number of years. And, and, and what happened is theologians kept digging and digging and digging and trying to decide who was the real Jesus. Not the Jesus of Scripture, because that must just be some made-up false god. But really, who was this dude that walked in Palestine whose name was Jesus? And this, this went on for a number of years. And, and they get to the point where Jesus is just a good guy who lives a good life, and then dies unjustly at the hands of an oppressive government. And that's all they saw in him. That's all they understood him to be. And another theologian, a later theologian, in critique of what they had spent years to developing, this Jesus who, who was just, just a man, who was just a persecuted guy, the theologian critiqued them later and said essentially what they had done is they had looked back in the Bible and they had looked back in history and what they had discovered was a Jesus who looked just like them. And some of us go, well, that's a good thing, right? Yeah, except instead of seeing a Jesus that had similar struggles, what they saw was a Jesus who was just like them. And they made excuses for their own sinfulness and they made excuses for their own ignoring God's ways by making Jesus look like a broken, sinful, weak person instead of who he really was. They made an idol. They represented God falsely. Don't take God's name in vain. Now, some of us, we grew up in church. We know, you know, you're not supposed to say those words, right? It's not, there's no GD, right? I mean, you don't, you don't say that. I mean, unless you really want someone to go to hell. I mean, like literally, the Apostle Paul, in his letters, he actually says that, that may you be cursed to hell to some people. Ah, they were false prophets, they were teaching bad gospel. So the thing is, though, is, is what does it mean to take God's, in vain, God's name in vain? Does it mean like every time you stub your toe, you say, Jesus, you know, like as a bad word? 
Can you imagine if every time something bad happened, we started using each other's names as bad words, right? I mean, it's just, it would be like you, you hit your hand with a, 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 a hammer, and it's just like, oh, Michael! Michael, darn it! You know, it's just, um, it's kind of ludicrous. And, and, and it's kind of actually an affront to the person whose name you would be using. You don't use somebody else's name like that. But it's also misrepresenting God. It's also saying, I'm here in God's name, and I'm going to behave however I want, and I'm going to use my spirituality as a bludgeon and a tool to, to manipulate you. To love God also means to remember the Sabbath, and some of you guys are, who are in the know, you already are looking and going, wait, but it's Sunday. We should have been here yesterday. Well, what that means is to honor a day of rest because we're weak and we're frail, and to spend one day a week, at least one day a week, in reflection of the goodness of God. And that's why we do it on Sundays. The New Testament shifts that love for God from the Old Testament Saturday to the New Testament Sunday. So I want to encourage you to keep the Sabbath. This is what it means to love God. And in case you were wondering, well, but Jesus just, just wants us to have warm fuzzies for God. He just wants us to be like, oh, I love you, God. I sing songs for 20 minutes, and then I'm done. And then the rest of the week, I get to live how I want. No, Jesus himself says this very clearly. If you really love me, if you really love me, you really love the Father, you really love God, you will keep my commandments. And in case you think he just said it once, he says it here in John 14, 15. And he re reiterates it in some form or fashion, but very distinctly in both uh, later on throughout this discourse with his disciples in chapter 14, verse 21, verse 23, chapter 15, verses 9 and 10, verse 14, verse 23. There is no question, if you love God, you can just behave however you want, but rather genuine love for God is obedience to what he's given for you to obey. Now, Jesus also gives the second answer, the, the next one, Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the second part of the same commandment, Jesus essentially says. Love your neighbor as yourself. And this comes from Leviticus chapter 19, uh, verse 18, the second half. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. A uh, little later in Leviticus 19, God says this to his people. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as the native among you. And you shall love him as yourself. For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. So all the way back in the Old Testament, God's standard for his people was always that they would love one another and love whomever came into their midst and said, we want to belong and be part of you. That, that, that there was this love for neighbor that was supposed to, to flow from God's people and is still supposed to flow from God's people. And Jesus reiterates this and says, of all of the commands, love God and love others. This is it. This is the summation. This is the standard. And, and you might wonder, well, what does loving my neighbor look like? I got a, a few answers for you. First, it looks like obeying the, the next six of the Ten Commandments. Because the second half of the Ten Commandments are all about your relationship with other people. The, the, the fifth commandment, actually I should have started the number like at five, shouldn't I? Man, you know, things you think about in the middle of the presentation. 
So, but, but these last six commandments, the first of the last six commandments, which is commandment number five in the list, is to honor your parents. And some of you might wonder, when does that end? And <laughs> I didn't know that was supposed to be funny, but I mean, I guess it is a little bit. Um, when does that end? When can I, my parents are just, just terrible people. And I'm not saying that about my parents. I'm, I'm speaking hypothetically. Um, sorry. My parents are here. Um, that... You're, you're saying to yourself, you're saying out loud, my parents are terrible people. When do I have to stop honoring them? And the answer is never. You, 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 there's no out here. There's no cancellation. Now, p- some of your parents are like, <laughs> no, that's not how this works. Because there's also, you know, parents are supposed to be godly and raise up their kids and grant them support and send them out to live Christ-like lives. Not be totalitarian. Yeah. So you get it, right? But, but number one, we're supposed to honor our parents. We're supposed to honor our familial responsibilities and relationships. Second, no murder. It doesn't say no killing. It says no murder. Now, that's, that's an important distinction in Scripture because there is killing that is accepted and justified in Scripture. Uh, wars uh, protecting each other in holiness from, from enemies and and. So no murder, no killing somebody for your own benefit, no adultery. Now, some of you might wonder, well, what about, no, no adultery. Jesus actually takes that rule and he expands it and says, if you even look with lust, you have committed adultery. No adultery, no stealing. Yeah, but you don't understand the company I work for. They made a billion dollars in profits last year. Yeah, no stealing. Well, I mean, what's stealing? The paperclip is stealing. Right now, now, we look at this and we all go, I stand in condemnation. Thankfully, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But stop stealing, right? Take the paperclip back. Now, you don't have to go to your boss and like confess, I stole this a year ago and I just feel so bad. No, but stop it, right? No stealing, no false witness. In other words, speak honestly about people. Speak the truth in love and no coveting. Now, I got to tell you, I I have the privilege. um, I had a car that was too small for my family, so I traded it in on a Volkswagen that my son got me a smoking hot deal on. But it's still just like a Tiguan. But don't you covet my Tiguan. It is cardinal red. It is hot. I look so good in it. But you may not covet my Tiguan. In other words, you may not want to, like, kill me and get my Tiguan. That would be wrong. I mean, it's worth it. But you shouldn't want that. Right? Do you, you see how this works out, though? Where, where we talk about what does it mean to love others? It means to honor your familial relationships. It means don't kill people. Duh. It means honor your marriage relationships. Honor the marriage relationships of others. You might be the single person going, well, you know, I mean, is it really committing adultery if she wants me that bad? Yes! <laughs> yes, it is. Honor their future marriage relationship if it's just a potential in their lives. No stealing, no matter how small. No, no telling lies about others. And for goodness sake, be satisfied with what you have. It's a blessing from God given directly to you. Do you see how the second second half of the Ten Commandments, it really starts to expand the idea of loving others. Now, what we have to understand when we're talking about 
this pyramid is that at the very top lies these, these two statements, love God and love others. And you say, so what does that mean? And I say to you, it means you live out the commands that God has clearly stated in detail. And the summation of that is that you love God and love others. So what does it mean to love God? It, it means to keep the Sabbath. It means not to have false gods. It means not to create idols. It means to honor his name. What does it mean to love other people? Well, it means, according to Scripture, it means don't murder, don't commit adultery. It goes down even further. Don't have illicit relationships with your aunts and uncles. And it, why God had to say that, I don't know, but he did. <laughs> There's so many rabbit trails in, in some of this stuff. When does a sermon go from speaking God's word to a stand-up routine? It's really, really it's hard some days because I, man, so many good jokes about my family. Not, not you two. Anyway, what, what does it mean to love God and love others? It means not to sit back and go, oh, warm fuzzies, whatever you want is fine. It's to say, God has standards. I love him by living up to his standards God has desires for each of us. I love you by living according to those desires and asking you to join with me in living according to God's standards and desires for us. So to love God, it really boils down to obedience and submission to him and to his standards. To love others, Jesus kind of sums it up here. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends. What does it mean to love other people? It means being willing to give up everything about yourself for the sake of others. Everything. So loving others is a life of sacrifice and service and death to self. But it's all rooted in and birthed out of those 613 commands that tell us what our relationships should look like, what our lifestyle choices should be. It tells us what it means to keep the Sabbath and to honor God. And so when we get to these two some summary statements of love God and love others, they are critical, they are important, they are, they are something we can hang our hat on as long as we understand down at the root of them lies the standards that God has always given his people regarding their relationships, regarding their lifestyles, regarding their choices in this life. Now the scribe says to Jesus, and this is, what audacity, right? You are right, teacher. <laughs> Jesus, the Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah, I affirm you. <laughs> I mean, can you, can you see this, this going on? You're right, teacher. You have truly said that he, God, is one, and there's no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this scribe, this teacher of the rules and the law and the standards, he says, Jesus, you get this. You're the first one who gets this. That to love God and love others is more important than an empty, 
religious life. That you can do all the right things, you can say all the right words, you can wear the right clothes, you know, and do the right ceremonies, and still, if you don't love God, you don't have a relationship. It's, it's, it's empty. It's worthless. If you don't love others, you are not walking with God. It's not an empty system of religious dictatorship where God is telling you, you know, do these things. Some of us think that God is, is telling us, you know, for, for, for me to love you, you must do this stuff. You must behave this way. You must earn my, my salvation. You must earn my affection. But what God has really said to us is that in the cross of Jesus Christ, salvation is free. That, that, that just the sunrise and the sunset should help you to know that his love for you is abundant. And so what he does, he's, he's not saying, if you want me to love you, you'll do this. But he says, if you really do love me, you'll do this. You'll live this way. You'll love me with all that you are and, and see my standards and accept them and declare them good and acceptable. If you love me, you'll look at your, the people around you and see in them value and worth because I say they have it. So not love me, or if you love me, you must, or for me to love you and accept you, you must, but if you love me, you will do these things. And, and here's what Jesus says to him. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now some of you might go, what? He just... Jesus gives him an answer that the guy says, I believe what you say, Jesus. And Jesus says, doesn't say, you're saved. Come walk with me. You're in the kingdom. He says, hey, you're not far from the kingdom. What was the missing link? What was the missing thing in this guy's life? It went from, from a place where he knew the rules, but what's missing? He's just outside of the kingdom. He's like peeking over the wall. And it really comes down to understanding the gospel that we talk about every week. We talk about in and out and all around that understanding of, of fall and choosing sin and deserving wrath. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus who died on the cross and paid the price for our sins and gave us the opportunity to trust in him as our Lord and Savior. He rose again on the third day to prove it's all true, and now it's time to make a choice. You can, you can know the right answers and stand just outside the kingdom and say, yeah, I should love God and, and love others, or you can, you can trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, be made new in your heart and empowered by the Spirit, and really, truly begin to love God and love others and experience this life that Jesus says is true and real and can be yours. See, we have to move to a place that, that uh, we understand that God has a desire for relationship. That's one thing to know. But we want to actually be in that relationship with him. Instead of saying, I should love God and I should love other people, to move to the place where we really do love God. And we really do love people. And that only happens, not because you decide to do better things, but because you trust Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and find in him the power to genuinely love God and love others. I don't like doing certain things. I don't like vacuuming. I, I don't like rinsing the sink out uh, after I brush my teeth. Um, and some of you might go, that's gross. Well, I, it, whatever, I'm going to spit in there some more, right? I don't like making my bed. 
I don't even like straightening out the sheets. I don't like picking up laundry. I don't really like doing dishes. Um, and you might wonder, Michael, are you just a slob? And, and Shelly would say, yeah, she's shaking her head, no, I'm not. But I do all those things. You know, I do all those things. I, I, I learned how to practice all of those things because I, I love my wife. Right? I could have sat back and said, oh, I know that's what she wants. And we would no longer be in relationship. Or I can enter into relationship. I can really know her love. I can, I can walk with her and say, I am inspired to be in this relationship wholeheartedly. And guess what that means? It means there are things like seats that are down and sinks that are rinsed and vacuums that are run. And I mow the lawn, which, oh my goodness, whoever invented that? That is so stupid. Anyway, it just speaks of futility to me. But some of you might love mowing. Will, I'm so sorry. He's sitting back there going, I do that for a living. Yeah, I know. I don't understand. It's like pushing the rock up the hill there, Sisyphus. Um, so, but we have to move beyond the place. And, and see, this was the scribe's problem. He understood what God longed for him to do. But Jesus is saying, you're still just outside the kingdom. You've got to come and be in relationship with me. You might understand what I'm talking about this morning. You say, that sounds like good living. It does, doesn't it? And it really is good living, and it really is the right way to walk. But if you're still standing on the outside of the kingdom saying, that looks right, and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I've got to tell you, it's time to come into the kingdom and live it fully by trusting in Jesus to change you from the inside out. So what is it, as we wrap up this morning, as, as the worship team gets ready to close us in a, one more song? To love God, to love others. If I were to tell you one thing in, or, or two things in each of these to really sum it up so you understand what it means, loving God is not some sort of esoteric, I sit back and I have warm fuzzies when I hear worship music. It is instead, you've trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you have moved to a place where you are seeking to genuinely know Him and know His scriptures. You can't do what he says if you don't know what he's said. And then to live a life of genuine obedience and submission to what he is asking of you. Not because you're trying to earn your salvation. Not because you're trying to make him like you. He already loves you. He already sent his son. His son died for you. You've accepted him as your Lord and Savior. Now it's time to understand your role is I do this because I love you, God. I put down toilet seats and rinse out the spit from the sink because I love my wife. You do the things that show your love for God by obeying what he's already said clearly and straightforward. Now you might say, well, it doesn't feel like love when I don't get to do what I want to do. Suck it up. Who's in charge? Kids, you got to tell me, do you get to do what you want to do and say, but mom, I thought you loved me. But dad, I thought you, I thought you really cared. No, you still have to clean your room, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like torture. So, uh, our kids always had to eat their broccoli, right? And it, it, but don't you love me, Dad? <laughs> I do eat your broccoli. And sometimes, sometimes life feels a little bit like eating broccoli when it comes to following God's commands, walking in his ways. But to genuinely love him is to eat your broccoli when he says so, or to stop eating the Snickers when he says lay off. You, you get it. 
I mean, there are things in our life where, but I love this. I long for this. I feel like I was made this way. And God says, you weren't. It's wrong. Stop it. Or you might say, what? but I, I don't like that. I'm so, I, feel, I feel struggle with this. And God says, get up, trust me, and do it. Not because you're trying to earn his love or earn your salvation, but because he loves you and you are saved and you want to love him back. And then to love others. To love others is not to tell them everything's fine, do what you want. I affirm you in all of your brokenness and stupidity. To genuinely love others is to sacrifice of yourself, to serve them, to die to your own ways, but also to encourage them to walk in a life of obedience to God through Jesus Christ as well. So this morning, when we read Jesus, when, when he says to us, these are the two statements that sum up, sum up the one greatest rule in your life, hopefully you can walk out today and say, I know what I need to do to show my love to God and others. Jesus answers us today. He says, the most important is this. Hear, O people of God. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. What he said in the old, he still means in the new. What he said in the new, he still means today. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your emotions, with all of your soul, with all of your personality. With all of your mind, your intellect is important. And with all of your strength, your body matters. Steward it well. And the second is, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, seeing to it that your neighbor's needs are met, clothes and food and care, but also telling them the truth about sin and death and Jesus and the life he brings. There's no other commandment greater than these. Let's stand together and we'll pray and then close with our song. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you that your son Jesus spoke so clearly. He did not leave this nebulous. He did not leave this open to interpretation when it comes to what it means to really walk in obedience. This is the rule, to love you with all that we are and to love each other as we love ourselves. So help us when we're struggling, when we're trying to figure out how to apply that. We don't sit back and imagine, but that we dive into your word and see what you've really said when it comes to following these two commands that together are the greatest. Open our hearts and our minds. Convict us when we're walking in rebellion and disobedience. Help us to genuinely love you with our bodies, with our spirits, with our personalities, with our intellect. And may we love each other more and more every day. Thank you for this time. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would continue to knit us together as your body, with you as the head. Holy Spirit, convict, empower, and guide us step by step. It's in the name of Jesus we pray this morning. Amen. If you've got questions or you're struggling, you want to, you know, ask a couple of what-ifs or anything, don't hesitate to pull me or one of the elders aside or somebody you know is here regularly and you're like, hey, what did he mean by? Check in with each other. Ask questions. Grow together. Let's worship together as we close our time.
Thank you so much, guys. Um, thank you for being here today. If you are part of the VBS decorating team or want to be, uh, join Linda downstairs immediately after service to figure out how we're going to get a, uh, a Hummer in the, in the sanctuary. I don't know how it's going to work, but it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see what Jesus does. Um, so, uh, and of course, we've got our great Bible studies tomorrow night, 7 p.m. downstairs. Uh, 
And uh, then there is Wednesday night, ladies are meeting. Thursday night, our young adults, our students are meeting. Excuse me, um, uh, here at 6.30. And then, of course, we've got 1829 Friday night at 7, men's breakfast Saturday at 8, Sunday evening after everything, and you're trying to get back to sleep. We're going to be having that cookout in the Sunday school discussion. So much coming up. Good to be part of this family. If you guys need anything, don't hesitate to let me know. Love you all. And uh, God bless as you seek to love God and love others, remembering that it all is built on the foundation that God has established from the very beginning in Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy and all throughout the history of the Jewish people and Christianity. So God bless. We'll see you guys throughout the weekend next week. I hope you dive into your love for God and Jesus.